I think the only thing better than talking about the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban kerfuffle, war of words, whatever you want to call it, is not just talking about it, but talking about it four days after the fact. You know, if these guys are going to start a blood feud uh, in the media uh, and be like the most interesting story of the college football offseason so far, um, they probably should have done it like not immediately after we get done recording a podcast. And then, like, now we have to wait for a few more days before we have another one. Like, it was pretty rude of them. We we got we didn't get to be in the middle of the discourse here um, when they did that. They picked literally the least convenient time for us. And, and, frankly, I think both of them should apologize for that. The date is October 8th, 2022. Alabama's winning in the second quarter, 104-0. to zero. Yeah, they are going to beat the brakes off that team this year. Now, I I've mean, said that almost every year about Alabama and Texas A&M and have been correct every time except for one, which inconveniently for me trying to make this point is the most recent game, but I really mean it this time. Goodbye, Jimbo Fisher. RIP, Texas A&M. They are going to do dirty things to you. Is this why, uh, is this why Zach Calzada transferred? Because he knew he, like, you know, Awesome game, has this legendary performance and beats Alabama for Texas A&M and then jumps to jumps into the transfer portal, you know, A&M's like, "Well, we need more, we need better guys. We need we need to keep getting better and better and better." And um he he knows that his legacy would be tarnished if he was the starting quarterback at Texas A&M for what they are going to do, <laughs> what they're going to get handed to them by Alabama. This is insane, man. Not like, enough people, speaking of Calzada, know when to go out on top. If I'm Zach Calzada, I'm not playing another game for Texas A&M after yeah. that win. It's just I'm going out on a high note. I there's so I mean everybody's had the the takes right now. Everybody's had the reactions, and so I guess the thing for us is I don't know how you feel about it, Painter, but like there were so many people like making like earnest points off of this and like trying to make you know like real arguments and like taking sides and and whatnot over this. And my thought is, if your reaction to what Jimbo Fisher said to Nick Saban or about Nick Saban um, last Thursday isn't more than just this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't, I don't think we see eye to eye, uh, because I, that was hilarious, man. Like it was, it was truly one of like, so much happens on the internet, so much in just the world today, especially with social media and the, the, you know, people getting attention and how hard it is to get and keep and maintain uh, attention and just wild stuff that happens in the world of sports, so on and so forth. It's hard to like be truly shocking at this point. It may be truly shocking over something that wasn't like violent or like anything bad happened from it. But Jimbo Fisher got so mad that Nick Saban said that they had bought players with NIL that he called a press conference a day later and said at the, at, at the podium that somebody should slap Nick Saban. Like somebody should slap Nick Saban because of what he said that that is something that a coach about at one school said about a coach at another school like i don't know if i've ever seen anything quite like that before this one was weird too because saban's usually very good or at least very measured and you know he in some ways i think still accomplishes his goal in this which is for them to be first in everything which means the amount of money they spend on things like 
name, image, and likeness. And I think he's, as other people have pointed out more eloquently than I will here, he's trying to tell that base, like, look, we have to step this up. On the other hand, very funny to go after the two coaches that he did. Now, I get the Texas A&M thing on a level because of how good they were this year in recruiting. The Dion thing really came out of left field. And then what you mentioned, the impromptu press conference from Fisher, like the thin skin that that man has is amazing. No, it's the most Texas A&M thing possible because that is a very insecure fan base. They have all this wealth. They have all this 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 money that they like to flaunt. But they also are very insecure when you point that out about them and that they haven't won anything. This was a big discussion if you're a subscriber, which I hope you are, uh, to Split Zone Duo when uh, Godfrey and Alex and, 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 and Richard talked about that last week. It was like, they haven't won anything. And they're trying to spin like they either have won a ton of things or want to win a ton of things. And pointing that out is just something that that fan base, like it's, they're very insecure. You know, they base a lot of their identity about A&L or about Texas. And is that, or it's like, they're just so petty. And I don't, it's, it's the, the thing, the, the Saban thing is interesting to me because you're right. Like Saban is usually so calculated and well-measured and like, thinks things out right and when he says something name dropping was was a clear mistake here from him and he said that he said that after the fact i shouldn't have singled anything out like the thing about if you go back and listen to what he said if you if he stops like before the last minute or so it's fine it's just like hey man this is really weird what's going on with nil and i don't know if we need to do this this way i think there needs to be some guardrails put up in place and i don't totally um, disagree and i doubt you yeah, do either with that it's right, like right. there is a level that we uh, a line we generally take on the podcast which is coaches complaining about their jobs changing or getting harder is incredibly lame and i don't like don't care about that however i don't think that the coaches are wrong about there being some form of the word seems to be a dirty word but nonetheless uh <laughs> Regulation, I think, is what yeah. all these coaches are asking for in some degree. Yeah, so that misstep from Saban was huge because what did he say? He said, well, A&M bought every single one of their players. And then he says, look, Deion Sanders, Jackson State, Travis Hunter got this big deal. Neither of those things are verifiably true, right? Um, the Travis Hunter thing was a tweet that went around on signing day and a lot of people just accepted it as fact, but there didn't really seem to be any sort of follow-up off of it because the more you dig in... I mean, I was even one that I thought, you know, I thought that that was a true thing. And then it's just like the more you look into it, you're like, wait, hold on. There's not really a whole lot of proof there. Uh, and, and Travis Hunter also made the point that was like, yeah, man, like my, my, my parents are like my mom's still, you know, living in a, in a small house with all these kids. It's like, I ain't got this money. You know, uh, that's that's not why I came to, to Jackson State. And then the other thing is, like, Jackson State, even if there was NIL involved there, Jackson State did not pay it, you know? And and and, and I think that was the thing with what Jimbo got so upset about is, like, you know, oh, you bought all of your players. Like, well, we didn't do anything. And it's like, well, I guess technically that's true. You know, and you have this, this whole kind of, like, um, you can you can kind of weasel your way around that. But it was so weird because Saban is so usually so 
well thought out with what he says, and he says things for a purpose. And like he he stepped in it. He stepped in it big time with Dion. I think he even correct me if I'm wrong. Talked some about how this was going to impact the non revenue generating sports. Yeah, and it's like that's not true, and you know that's not true, and that no. that actually gets into a larger point, which is like this was a room full of his base, but also media members. And in this particular instance, it wasn't necessarily the role of the media to jump up and question him. But like, I do wish there were more times when people weren't worried about access or lack thereof and would push back and go, Hey, wait a minute. I know there's a lot going on in all the things you just said, but you think that paying individual players with individual donors money is going to mean the softball program is going to crash and burn. Can I get a follow-up comment on that? Yeah, and it's like where it, where does your logic go? Where you need to be such an alarmist about this? Again, this is like that's when I get frustrated about the coaches being mad that things are changing when they just start saying things like, "Well, this is going to crush the sports that aren't football." No, no, it's not. Yeah, and the other thing is just like I think Godfrey has made a really good point about this the last, in the past week. It's like this is what's happening. People are losing their minds. Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban are in this war of words, uh, you know, over the fact, and of course Saban kind of, you know, eased back uh, on Thursday afternoon, but um, all this is happening because other people are making money now. And the economic structure of the sport has changed. And yes, there are positives and negatives that come with it, but at its base level, it has changed, and that change is driving people insane. Um, And it's a a point, like, the other thing that I think is, is so funny to me in all of this is that Nick Saban was willing to step in at this much with Jimbo Fisher and get Jimbo, a pretty sensitive coach, I guess is the best way to put it, in a fan base that is sensitive as well, a massive and sensitive fan base, to go that far over what? The fact that they finished second in recruiting behind Texas A&M? Yeah, A&M had the biggest class ever, best class ever uh, by a lot of rankings, but Alabama was number two. Okay, we're people it's also are nothing new to be like, hey, Texas A&M may have plenty of talent, but what? <laughs> like yeah. they haven't proven the ROI has ever been great there. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it'll happen at some point. And that's my whole thing. I've always had with Texas A&M football. It's like, well, you're going to have to prove it to me first. And they're going to have all the resources to do it. They are kind of becoming Texas, their rival at this point where, you know, it's like, all right, you got everything you need. What, what, what's it going to take? But it's the most A&M thing ever to go out there and call a press conference where you're like, I will hit, I, I wish somebody would hit you. Um, you are, uh, uh, you know, basically calling him out for, for cheating, right? Like, I, I don't think it takes a, I don't think it takes a very deep reading of the text for, for, for he's like Jimbo's like, yeah, I work for him. And I know, and like, you he was imploring people to, people to look into Nick Saban's past, which is an interesting thing for him to do because at one point you know he probably learned a thing or two from the guy there's a lot of history there you know there's some history about him as his, his time at lsu and, and that what, uab job <laughs> the uab thing is amazing i have i haven't thought like that was brought up the other day and i was like man i bet that's a i bet that's a huge sticking point it's a huge huge sticking point there as well it's just and and it was pointed out by a lot of people that fisher sort of made a point to that he deviated from saban when saban left lsu whereas other coaches followed right yeah he doesn't like the fact that he's called a a, a 
you know, a Nick Saban disciple, like a, you know, like others. I mean, he, he considers himself more of a connection to the Bowdens, um, from his time at Florida state. And obviously, uh, with, with, with Terry. And it's just that it's, they are going to, you know, he, he made a big point in this and, and like, there's a, there's a, there's a good, there's, there's something to be said of knowing your audience. And like, whereas I thought, like, I don't know, I don't know how, how you stand on this, but I thought like if, if, if Alabama accused a team I liked, or I guess I can aim it to you painter about, you know, for Auburn, but it like, I think you would have this opinion and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I think if you like Nick Saban came out and said, well, you look at Auburn, they bought every single player with NIL money. And you know, we don't know if we need to do that. And we didn't do that. And the, if that was the thing, if Auburn was the point of contention there, I don't think Auburn fans would necessarily want Brian Harson, or you know, if for Brian Harson in this example to come out and say, you know, well, uh, that that's despicable. Someone should hit you, sir. Um, instead, I think I think I think more Auburn fans would love it if you know your coach didn't say anything, or if they did say something, just be like, hey, get your money up, like <laughs> like you want to go, you want to go be broke, go to Alabama. We're gonna get you taken care of here at Auburn, like. I think that's kind of the reaction a lot of fan bases would love to see. But, man, Texas A&M, they, those folks ate that junk up from Jimbo because he spoke for them. Like, that's how they feel about a lot. And I, I think there's been a big shift in the last five to ten years for the casual Auburn fan on where they would stand for being accused of, quote-unquote, cheating, which, again, underscores how silly all this is because as far as I know, I mean – Again, this is why you could make an argument that there needs to be some form of symmetry and regulation across the country. But like, as far as I know, Texas A&M isn't cheating right now. So I don't know yes, why they're no, taking yeah, this so exactly. personally. And, exactly. and for Auburn fans like 10 years ago or more now with the Cam Newton thing, there was a lot of indignation about it. And I think mm-hmm. the correct response is what you said, which is don't care, keep doing it. Right, yeah, I think nowadays when people want to bring up, because yeah, when when Cam, when Auburn was accused of paying Cam and all that, and the whole thing there, I think there was initially at the time there was a lot of people that were like kind of defending him to the hilt. But nowadays you'd be like, well, Auburn paid Cam Newton. You know, a lot of Auburn fans would be like, yeah, probably not enough. Like, man, we got a bargain, didn't we? Like, yeah, you think right, about right. <laughs> it's it's a common thing you see now online is oh, this is the best hundred eighty thousand dollars Auburn's ever spent. It's like, well, there's actually a legitimate argument for that. And also, Auburn right. happened to lean into the family thing hard that 2010 season, and then that news came out late in the year or in the second half of the right. season. And then I, I think was... Auburn really leaned into it. And, like, that's always been a thing that does kind of make me cringe, but I get it. Like, there's, you know, Bruce, I I... Bruce Pearl plays it up probably to his advantage. Um, you know, yeah. I've anyway, I think I've, I've made it, you know, if you're listening to this long enough, you, you kind of understand where I, where I fall on the family thing, but like that opinion on paying the players has definitely changed for Auburn. Whereas I think Texas A&M is still sort of stuck in that 2012, 2010, whatever, you know, mindset of like, no, we do things here the right way. I think I've told the story before either. I don't know if it's on here or it might've been when we did radio, but, um, uh, you were talking about the the news dropping. Um, the day Cam Newton was suspended, uh, quote unquote, before the Georgia game, I was on a, a visit to Auburn that day. It was like my the day off you get from school. I mean, I know it's probably different from you for you because you lived here, 
I was in, um, but, I happened to be in the Auburn high school library. Yeah. I remember I did like the, the tour, the campus visit. Like I knew I was going to Auburn at this point, but like, you know, our high school is like, Hey, you can get out of school and right, it's, it's excused if you're going. Yeah. So we went up there and we, and, and you know, we, we, we made the tour, um, as we were leaving, as we were pulling out, um, my dad happened to see somewhere that, you know, people were talking about, cause this was like, er, like Twitter just kind of started at that point. Um, that, you know, people were talking about can being suspended and all that. And I remember we got into our car to go back home and we turned on fine bomb and they were talking about it and we're, you know, going away from campus and we see all these news trucks and all these news vans hmm. come flying down Donahue to get to the, to get to the athletics complex. Um, Look out for the camera folks, on. the camera folks, they'll mow you down. Yep. And you, ain't you ever seen Nightcrawler before? They'll take, <laughs> they'll take care of that. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's it, the, the change is great because it's like, I think there's so many, cause like in Saban also called out Miami. You haven't heard Miami say one thing. The folks yeah, Miami. Like maybe, maybe. Yeah, because like also maybe. that's another guy that worked for him. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And dude? also, and also it was a lot about basketball. He like, he was pointing out like, you know, Miami's out here paying basketball players. He's like looking out for NATO. Him. It's like, look brother, <laughs> it's tough to win a title and follow it up. I'm going to throw you a bone. He's here. like, he's like up there. He's like up there being like, I'm not a big fan of Jim Laranega. <laughs> Jim Laranega. <laughs> I didn't like how he talked to Jabari Smith. Very uncool. It's like, and then, uh, 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 uh Laranega's Laranega's back at you know back home in Miami like still sounding like Bernie Sanders coaching basketball <laughs> like like he yeah no it's it's also, that that's okay I'm glad you mentioned Nato's because that's another like underrated part of that of that video is like Nato's sitting just, there just being like what's going on he's like man I'm just trying to figure out I'm just trying to figure out if we're gonna have a single post player next year yeah like, and like am I gonna be at Michigan State in two years or am I gonna ride this this cash pony out I also want to say like when someone like Jimbo Fisher says we do it the right way it means contributing large amounts of money to the athletics institution. And the people in the administration, like that's what you're saying is we just prefer that the money go to the people who work at the athletic departments. <laughs> it's it's like, such what? A, yeah. Is that and the right way? A, I don't know. You have to decide that. But whenever you hear the right way, there is this virtuing and or virtue signaling around. And it's like the right way just means you're deciding who deserves the money and who doesn't deserve the money. It's, it's a crazy thing. I think the best tweet I've, I've seen about NIL and like what how, what this system is like now is from Bud Elliott, who's at two four seven, and Bud made the point a while back where it was like, if you want to figure out what collectives are like in NIL, and like you're like, man, this is crazy stuff. It's like, okay, well, Painter, I'm gonna give you an example here. Um, let's say, um, let's say Devonte Adams is a free agent, or let's say a, a big name wide receiver is is on the market. Um, if there was a way that Bills fans could pull their money together and guarantee that the Bills got to sign <laughs> their guy as a free agent. I'd be like, how big is this month's paycheck and what GoFundMe do I need to send it to? Right. It's like, that's, you know, it's, it's so crazy. And like, 100%, and these people have like money. they have all this it. money. They don't know what to do with it. And they, yes. they like give that is a, I think a, I don't know if it's a dirty little secret, but I think it's something that's under well, that's the thing about collectives. Well, that's the thing about collectives is that you don't have to be a high roller, right? You but, don't but have, these people you don't have to be the yellow fella. <laughs> you some, can just be a dude, have some disposable income to varying degrees, right? right? Like the yellow fella is a billionaire. So he's, he's doing something different than most people, but 
the idea is I have some disposable income, and one of the things that I like doing is going to these games. It's a big part of my life, and I like to brag to my friends because what's the cliche, like knowledge is currency or whatever, and so it kind of gets you mm-hmm. inside the fold, and you get a little extra right. information. You feel like you're a part of it, whether or not you really are. Like You're helping bankroll this thing that you care about, and people mm-hmm. like that. They like the sense of feeling of like, hey, you know, like that star quarterback, yeah, man, I help with that. I did that. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if you did that, but I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you helped get him here. I think that ultimately the thing we have to come back to to is this. Number one, it's hilarious that Jimbo Fisher said that another coach should get hit. And number two, <laughs> Alabama's going to beat them by $9 million <laughs> in October. <laughs> It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the free edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? We are watching the PGA on CBS. Ah, yes. Yes. How are you feeling about the PGA Championship right now? Uh, Man, one thing about it, I got to give it. I just, all of their wardrobes, or the majority, Mm -hmm. not all, most of the wardrobes I would like to have. Ricky Fowler like has a vibe. I feel like it might suit you pretty well, actually, because isn't he I a used to love guy? Ricky, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, used to be a big Ricky guy, and I still am. I hope Ricky's. He just hasn't been really relevant, super relevant in golf for years. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the majority, of, kind of excluding him, quite frankly, the majority of their swag. Sign me up. Um, speaking of which, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but um, Bubba Watson. I am pronouncing that correctly. Bubba Watson, um, one of his sponsors, one of his main sponsors is Richard Mill, or maybe Millie, the watchmaker. Um, he, he's like he's been one of their big big brands. Uh, Bubba was wearing um, a watch the other day. It was on Saturday when I saw it, um, and it's just this giant watch he's wearing. It's a really nice, expensive watch. And so I was thinking, like, I wonder how much that watch cost. Painter, I looked up the watch. One of his, one of the Bubba Watson like versions of that watch, sells for eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh wow! I was gonna say like a hundred and fifty k. Eight hundred. Can you imagine? Like, I guess that's one of those things where you've got insurance. You can buy for a really that. nice house for right. that. No, that's 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 a home in Colorado, baby. It might not be um, a big one, but like it's a home somewhere in Colorado. Keeping an eye, though, you know, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. PGA Championship going on. Uh, Mito Pereira, can they? Can he hold on? Can the can the young Chilean hold on? It'd be wild though for a rookie to win PGA Championship, like to win a major. That's pretty special kind of stuff. Um, we're here to talk stuff besides the PGA Championship. Um, we are here to talk uh, some Auburn football and men's basketball here. Uh, appreciate everybody listening and tuning in. Uh, got quite a few topics that we want to tackle today. Uh, let's start with some football. Since the last time we talked to you guys, uh, Auburn picked up another uh, transfer. Um, uh, yeah, they picked up another transfer in Morris Joseph. Morris Joseph, um, a defensive lineman uh, from, let's see, from Memphis. Um, that commitment was, I believe, on... 
yeah, it was it was after we recorded on Wednesday night. Um, so um, we haven't talked about him yet. But yeah, Morris Joseph coming to Auburn. Uh, you know, reloading on that defensive line that um, lost quite a bit of guys. Uh, this up, you know, I'm looking at the scholarship chart right now. If you look at it, Auburn lost Dre Butler, Daniel Foster Allen, Lee Hunter, JJ Pegues, Ian Matthews, and Tony Fair all this offseason on the defensive line. They brought back Marquise Robinson. Um, then they got Jason Jones in the transfer portal. They got um, they got uh, Ennis Sledge um, back uh, or in, in 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 the freshman class. Uh, Jeffrey Embaugh signed with them, obviously, but. You know, hadn't gotten um, a bit, you know, a, a big d- number of uh, guys coming in. And you want depth on the defensive line. Joseph checks that box. Uh, originally a JUCO player uh, from Orange, Texas, uh, played at Iowa Western Community College uh, after being at UTSA. Uh, so this is going to be his fourth school uh, since graduating from high school. But um, he uh, was. Uh, a go-to player is a starter for the last two years for Memphis. A pretty good Memphis defense. He is 6'2", 275, pretty versatile defensive lineman, can play on the inside, can play on the outside, um, you know, and or tackle in this in this setup, especially with the way Auburn has their edge rushers. Um, this is just a really good pickup to have because I, I think it's very similar to me. Not the same type of player, not necessarily the same type of role, but he, he strikes me like – a Tony Fair last year. Um, you know, Auburn's defensive line, you have Colby Wooden and you have Marquise Burks and you have, um, you know, you, you have guys like uh, Marcus Harris and Zykevis Walker and when the guys, the new some of the newcomers that we mentioned that we expect to play uh, right away this year. There's not like this, like, easy, like, easy, like, right now we need this guy right here to come in and be this top player for us right away. Um you don't get very many of those guys left in the transfer portal at this time of year. What instead you're doing is you're trying to replace the Butlers and the and the Foster Allens, Hunter, Piggies, Matthews, the guys that you lost. You're, you know you're trying to replace them. And so, for a guy like Morris Joseph, he's been in a lot of places. He's an older guy, um, and he's played at the Group of Five level, and he wants to step up. Uh, you say that with Tony Fair. Tony Fair played a lot at UAB. He was their key defensive lineman at UAB. He comes to Auburn, and he was like like fifth or sixth, I think, in the rotation when it came to defensive lineman last season. He had a role that he played, got on a bigger stage, got an opportunity to play against better competition, more eyeballs on him for his pro future. I think this is kind of the same thing you're getting with Morris Joseph because he is a guy that just has one year left, and he's using that final year at Auburn. So a good replacement when you think about how Auburn is going to want to try to load up on the defensive line uh, in the 2023 class, especially with all the in-state talent um, you know, up front. Uh, this is a guy who's a really good stopgap right now to cup, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of stop the bleeding with what you had with the outgoing guys on the defensive line and uh, boost it up. Um, and then, you know, if it works out, if he's a, if he proves to be a really good player at this level, you might have fi- found a diamond in the rough there. Um, kind of like a Craig McDonald to a dis- to an extent, even though McDonald's got a lot of, um, you know, playing time, got a lot of years left. Daz Warsham at wide receiver. These transfers Auburn are getting – you need depth. You need guys who can play in the rotation. You need guys you can plug in right away. But you're also not sitting here saying, okay, we need you to be a superstar right away. And I think that's the best way to go about the transfer portal, especially when you're this late in the game uh, in the cycle and, and, and you want to have more depth. So really good pickup, I think, for jo- uh, for Auburn and, and getting a guy like Morris Joseph. Those guys, you know, he's going to be motivated. 
He's going to play a role. And, um, you know, Auburn just needs – they need depth on the defensive line. He's going to provide it. What does the calm and calculated analysis, numbers, and data-driven Justin Ferguson say to the Auburn fans that feel like Brian Harson and staff may be doing their very best at getting all the things you just said, need at a position, depth, whatever, but that are looking at this edition or some of the other editions and going, oh boy. Because of where they're coming from? Right. You're going, uh, you know, you got to have warm bodies. I get it. Mm-hmm. Especially at certain position groups. There's a yeah. need for depth. But at the same time, sometimes I get the sense from the fan base that some of these moves may feel like moves for the sake of a, like doing it. Like you have to have a warm body, but is this guy? And I'm not singling him out, but are the transfers they're bringing in going to make a significant difference on the roster this season? Well, I think it's like you look at the guys who transferred in last year. Um, you know, Eku Leota, Marcus Harris. Um, you know, you had, uh, you had uh, Donovan Kaufman. Uh, as well, like those, some of those guys made instant impacts. And I think you probably thought a little bit more of them coming in because it was like, hey, we need guys who can come in and possibly start right away. You're getting guys now, and DJ James and and, and um, Jason Jones and obviously Robbie Ashford uh, and, T- and Zach Calzada at quarterback, those are guys that you know can definitely push for that. But, yeah, it's just here's the, here's the fact of the matter for Auburn. Well, you know, this offseason they have lost 18 guys to the transfer portal. Um. They did not sign. You know, they, they lost 18 guys to the transfer portal, and uh, by my count, they had 12 guys graduate or, or, or go, go to the NFL. So that's like 30 dudes outgoing. They did not bring in 30 guys. They were under the 85 limit. Most teams are under the 85 limit. So it's like you need guys, right? You, you, you want to have your best possible team for right now, especially for this team you know if you give a a transfer if you give a scholarship spot to a transfer guy that's not limiting what you're going to do moving forward i think one of the big things that we've seen is that the ncaa is saying you know what as long as you're under 85 sign as many players as you want and we will see what the effects of that look like moving forward i I do wonder this was actually something bill cameron um pointed out the other day when i was on with them on the drive is that he you know as as a guy who 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 is you know done this for Auburn, you know, an Auburn person for, for quite some time, his worry, and it's a good point someone made is like, okay, does this mean that the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world are going to stockpile these high school players again and keep them and like, well, maybe we won't use you, but we're going to keep you away from, from Auburn for at least a year or a, a Florida or, you know, an LSU or something like that. And that, that remains to be seen. Um, I, I think it's just in this case, you need depth. Like you just need defensive linemen. And it's like, yeah, that's not going to get you fired up, but you look at that, take defensive line, for example. Colby Wooden um, is a great player. Marcus Harris um, is a guy that came in and really exceeded expectations last season. I think Jason Jones, you know, another highly rated, like, four-star guy coming to high school. Jeffrey Ambaugh was the best defensive lineman out of JUCO. Um, so, yes, it would be great if Auburn would load up the four-stars and the high, and the five-stars and keep that rolling, but you, you don't have that, you know. You're recruiting – you had all those issues in recruiting in the 2022 class. Um, one of the big problems was, of course, you got a late start on it. You have a new staff that is trying to make inroads. Uh, and it seemed like Auburn, you know, from what people have said and what's been reported, 
needed to do a better job of kind of refocusing and retooling their recruiting efforts, and they're doing that this summer. You know, better late than never kind of thing there. Um, but you just you 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 have to have these guys, right? And in the portal, here's the thing that Auburn is in. It's kind of like what I said with the over the offensive line a while back. You're not going to sit there and just get superstars out of the transfer. You're not going to get a ton of superstars out of the transfer portal. I think the Alabamas of the world can pick off two, three guys in a class, and that's good for them. And like they have the most advantages in the world, as uh, as uh, Jimbo Fisher would point out. Um, for a place like Auburn, it's like if you're going into the transfer portal, it's going to be hard to convince big name superstar guys to make that move after what happened to Auburn late last season, what happened so far in the off season, what happened with. Brian Harson, you're going to have to get dudes who will just buy in. That's not the sexiest place in the world to land. I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing a lot of Auburn movement in the in this 2023 recruiting class, but not a lot of commitments yet because I think there's just kind of wait and sees. Like, is, is this staff going to be around? Is this is this program going to take a step forward after the step back last season? Those are all again. I'm not editorializing on whether that's you know it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. I'm just saying like. That's the perception. And so you go get the Morris Josephs and the Donovan, or the Craig McDonald's and the guys at Oregon who aren't necessarily superstars for them but have a chance to get some playing time here. It's just like this is part of rebuilding a roster and building up a program. So it's not going to get su- people super, super excited right now, but those are pieces you have to have because if you have injuries or if you have, you know, drops in play or if you need to change up some certain rules or some of the um, roles or if, if some of the departures you had last season are too great um, for certain you need to replace them and the easiest way to replace them is to go into the portal and pick off some of these guys so I get it you know that this is not going these moves these moves where I think you know I can see where the Daz Worsham move makes a lot of sense and works for Auburn I can see where the Morris Joseph move really helps Auburn's defensive line death wise right away I can see where Craig McDonald could turn into a really good player at the SEC level. I can see where the Oregon guys come in and all that. I can see where all of those work, right? But it's an individual by individual basis. And also, it's not like you're getting Jameer Gibbs from the transfer portal. It's not like you're getting um, uh, the kid who just transferred from Pitt, the the, the wide receiver. Um, you know, you're not getting those guys, but you're getting guys you need right now. And so I think it's just kind of part of the general vibe of the program altogether. It's like what they have to do in 2022, what they have to do this fall, it's going to take a lot of hard work and it's going to have to be about exceeding expectations. And you need some of these pieces to exceed expectations for you to do as a team. So that's a long way of saying like, I get it. But like, if you want this to work, if you're an Auburn fan, if you want, you know, the Brian Harson, you know, era to, to work out and want him to be the coach, moving forward and you don't want Auburn to go back to the back to another um, coaching search this quickly. Guys like this are going to have to click because guys like that last year were part of the reason why, especially on the defensive side, why Auburn had chances to be better than what their record indicated. I'll be curious to see if there's any other team like Michigan state in the coming years, or if there's maybe one or two of them each year that goes in, there are low expectations. They hit the transfer portal hard a couple of close games break their way, and suddenly their season is not just better than what they expected, but like miles ahead. And also what happens the next year for a team like Michigan State? Because we know at the end of the day, you really want the majority of your recruiting to come out of the high school ranks. But like 
that is an example of a team that went out and instantly made itself better. And I think given the division in the conference Auburn is in, it's highly unlikely for Auburn to find itself in that position and probably less likely for most schools to be able to do what Michigan State did with its transfers yeah. last year. Yeah. Which, you know, all goes back to what you have laid out in front of us, which is like you kind of need to win this season to generate some excitement in order to get the talent that you're consistently seeking in the door at Auburn. For the meantime, Colby Wooden and Derek Hall can't play every snap. Right, right, right. And what happens if they get hurt? Right, you know, that that is really, really big for them. Yeah, no, I think I think we've talked about it in the past. Michigan State's the perfect example where that's what Auburn's got to do. They've got in a year two, they've got to exceed expectations. They have got to have hit well in the transfer portal. Um, and you know, there might not be a Kenneth Walker um, on this team in, that they got from the transfer portal. But I will say this: if one of the quarterbacks they got from the portal, if it, if if the quarterback ends up being Calzada or uh, Robbie Ashford. Um, if those guys, if either of those guys click well, it could have that similar impact because we know quarterback play is, you know, a huge characteristic of, of really good teams. Um, and, and it's a key to just flat out winning football. Um, that's what Auburn's going to have to do. That's what Auburn has to be this season. Um, and there's a lot of talk at Michigan State. And, you know, at some point in time, Maybe sometime this offseason, we might get uh, our buddy Colton Pouncey, who covered Michigan State for the Athletic, and kind of talk about like what worked for Michigan State. And I'm not saying Auburn has to do a like for like comparison, but like what were some of the the keynotes of that? Because I think that's what Auburn's best case scenario is this year, where it's like, oh, this team has got some really good key players coming back. They bought in. They did have a big trans, you know, a roster overhaul, um, and of course. Harson had the thing, you know, there was the investigation and all that from a few months ago. That That's just a wild card that really no one else has had to kind of deal with this early in their tenure. But as that second season, more people bought in. The, the, the systems on offense and defense were a lot clearer. And Michigan State was able to exceed expectations. Now, they also got flattened by Ohio State. And it underscored, like, okay, recruiting. And that's a big been a big thing that uh, – that, you know, Mel Tucker has talked about at Michigan State where it's like you've got we've got to recruit with the Ohio State's right. Michigan to the they world have to have any and, problem. Four and five years of excellent recruiting classes to Michigan State's one year of taking advantage of a few players in the portal. And right. like at and the end so, of the day, that was good enough to beat a couple of nice teams in their conference. It was not enough to conquer the Giant, which is to say, well, Auburn has two of those on its schedule minimum. Right. Ex- exactly. And and I think in the case of Michigan State, like like I said, Mel Tucker comes from the machine. He was part of, you know. He, you don't have to explain to him the, how important recruiting is. Yeah, no, and that's part of the appeal for him, right? And so I think that's got to be a thing. Let's see some of those uh, similarities moving forward. And I guess that kind of dovetails nicely with the next thing we want to talk about. Um, for those of you who are subscribed to The Observer, there was a uh, mailback question I had this past Friday, that was a really good one, our, our lead question. And it was a question um, from Patrick who said, is there a decent metrics-driven way to show how Auburn would have fared in each of the other P5s over the last decade? Obviously, schedule affects performance, and SEC helps recruiting. But I thought that was a fun thought experiment. Um, if you look at SP+, Plus, which is kind of my go-to, since Auburn won the, the SEC title in 2013, 
if you compare their SP plus finish in our, in their conference, which 2014, third, eighth, fifth, third, fourth, fifth, fifth, eighth. That's Auburn's finish in the SEC and SP plus since they've won the title last. You compare that to the other four power conferences, what you find is Auburn would have won the Pac-12 three different times. They would have won the Big 12 once. They would have gotten into two more Big 10 title games, four ACC title games, and five Big 12 and Pac-12 title games. It's just geography and the schedule limits it. There's been a discussion about, like, is Auburn one of the hardest jobs in college football? I think in terms of your power conferences, yeah, it is. In terms of ones that you expect to contend, right? Like, yeah, it's hard for Vanderbilt to live in the SEC. It's hard for places like Georgia Tech and Wake Forest to work in the ACC. There are some Pac-12 schools and some Big 12 schools that have, Big 10 schools even on top of that, have rarely had long-term success because of a lot of factors. Auburn, it's one of those things where it's like Auburn, you know, that that little thought experiment showed, it's like, you know, yeah, Auburn's better off than a lot of schools. And if they were in other conferences, which obviously they're not because of geography, they're in other other conferences, you're talking about a team that would routinely either win or get to the championship game, play in the play in the big bowl games a whole lot more often, but that's not the cards that you were dealt with. And so when you look at how tough the SEC West is and you look at you know, potential changes coming to the league with Texas and Oklahoma coming in and the schedule stuff like we talked about in our last podcast, um, it just shows it's like, you know, Auburn can do all the right things and they can recruit really well and they can try to narrow the gaps in a number of ways and they can play the transfer portal well and they can, you know, they can try to out-execute and out-coach and do all, the, do all those things. But it's like, and you're also facing the giant, like Michigan State's path while I think Michigan State's path, you know, is as as is as tough as you're going to find outside of the SEC West because they do have to play Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State every year because um, they're in the same division. It's it's very similar to kind of what Auburn is at, but even still, it's like you know you could see some of these stretches over the years. These Auburn teams that wouldn't have got that haven't gotten back to the SEC championship game. These Auburn teams, you know, that haven't gotten back to New Year's Six Bowls. If they're in these other conferences, they're they're cleaning up. So it just underscores you can do all those things correctly, and you can do all this, and yet you still have to face Goliath, and another Goliath, and a and a team that's trying to spend its way to being a Goliath, and another team that is the most chaotic Goliath when when they're on in LSU. It's like there's so much of that stacked up against you, and it's you can look at it one of two ways. One, you can say, well, we just got to get closer and closer to that. Um, and drive yourself crazy doing it. Or you can say, well, you got to get closer and closer to that and know that historically you're not one of those teams that does it very often. So cherish the times you do get up there and try to find ways to overcome it. Have the underdog tactics, do some of that stuff that, you know, it's like, it's like if you look at it, one of the other questions, the mailbag, and why did Georgia and Alabama, why did they get off to such great recruiting starts with their new coaches and build these machines quicker than, you know, and Auburn hasn't had that. Well, historically, Auburn has never really had that. You know, in the time of the internet, uh, the internet recruiting age, Georgia almost always out recruits Auburn. Even in Alabama's slowest period, they still had some classes that beat Auburn's, and that's just that's just life. That's just life at this point. Like, you can talk about, hey, you got to recruit well if you're Auburn. Yeah, that's what Brian Harson is. They got to do better. It's like after decades and decades and decades and decades, maybe it's never going to happen consistently it's going to take big time collapses from those places but what you can do is try to get as close as you can 
and then overcome it. And I would say that Auburn, better than any other school, maybe not even maybe maybe in the country, definitely in the SEC, is that we don't have to recruit like Alabama and Georgia to beat Alabama and Georgia. You just got to do that a little bit more frequently, uh, and part of that is recruiting at a high level. So there's a lot of pieces to that, um, but it just shows you that, like, yeah, this is tough, and it, get, it can get frustrating, especially when you see your rivals win championships. That would drive anyone crazy. I completely understand that, and I and I know you don't want to accept that. Like, you know, I don't know you don't want to accept, like, well, that's just kind of how we it should just be happy been. going eight and four, and you know, like, coming no, in I'm not third saying in the that. West, right? Like, that's <laughs> yeah, not that's definitely not, not a realistic thing for fans to accept. And of course, you know, trying to find the balance and being happy with where you stand in the historical pecking order versus like still keeping your eye on the prize is a balancing act that some days if I'm in a bad mood, I'm like, well, you know, why can't they just win all the national titles? And then <laughs> some days when I'm feeling a bit more measured, it's like, well, well, you know, cause that's not something that we normally do. And yeah, uh, and it's, it's, it's not something that normally anybody does. You yeah. Know? And then we've talked about this a lot, but like Nick Saban has broken the collective no, college yeah. fans brain because it's I, like I oh do. well we we you know if they can do it we can too and it's like mm, i mean not even ohio state clemson georgia usc seem to be able to achieve texas god knows you know they can't even seem to do it yeah so i guess it's you know we talk about it a lot but it's like yeah don't accept mediocrity no one's going to do that the people who are in the building don't accept that fans shouldn't accept that either but also don't expect perfection or close to it's just because the expectations have been warped so much. Right. Uh, and also know that you in your position, even though you might be the, th- you know, there, Auburn could be an awesome team. I think back to, uh, I think back to, um, 2017, uh, you know, obviously they were really good, but like, I think back to the 2019 season and, and parts of the 2018 season, some of, some of the good years for Auburn, you know, over the last few years, um, you know, some really good football teams were no better than third or fourth in their own league because of who they had to play and who Auburn has to play every single year. And if you put that same team and you plop them anywhere else, you beat the vast majority of teams. You have more talent, you have more resources, you have a lot more. It's just not the most, but it's better off than it is you know, in a lot of places, right? And I, um, I've said this before, so I'm sorry for those of you who've listened for a long time, but... I'm not looking for a title every year. I do want to see Auburn get to nine and double-digit wins with more regularity. And then can they find a niche? Like, help me with some examples. But Kentucky seems to, under Stoops, have found a nice niche in the offensive line game. Yeah, Dan Mullen did a lot of things wrong at Florida, but when he was at Mississippi State, oddly enough— They overachieved at quarterback. And they also did a nice job some years on their defensive line. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um Clemson, when they were getting their thing rolling, there were some nice wide receiver prospects. That's still a thing even now with the the titles. It's probably become more frequent. So, like, are there some areas where you can say, yeah, we send players to the NFL when you come here for this? And this team isn't always going to win a national title the way, you know, a handful of schools, basically Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, seem to always be in that conversation. But one every four years – you know, we're there. And then in between, a little bit more in that 9 to 10 win range. Yeah, which is doable. It's definitely doable. I mean, it's kind of what LSU's been doing now since Saban has been there. For the most part. Yeah, LSU just has more of a... It's a huge advantage they have that most schools, not just and Auburn, also, but most And also when LSU have. bottoms out, they bottom out. Like, they, they hit they hit hard. Um, 
when they do that. Yeah, it's just I, I think that's one thing for Auburn. It's like Auburn has historically not an uh, – uh, we talked about this a while back. Like Auburn's historically not an NFL talent Factory, pipeline. Right. Like Iowa is better like historically than them. If you think Iowa's a better football program than Auburn, you're wrong. But, um, you know, there's a number of those places. There's some Pac-12 schools that do a really good job of getting guys in the league, but you wouldn't necessarily trade places with them if you're Auburn um, in terms of your success rate. So, yeah, I think it's just Auburn, it's it's some of that. It's not that Auburn's a bad team, right, or an average team. I think, you know, numbers-wise – um, if you look at stuff like SP plus, if you look at stuff like recruiting and resources and all that, like this is a top 15 to top 20, you know, top 20 program more often than not. And it can get into top 10 range, um, you know, pretty consistently if they just do like, it's just a few things they have to do. It's like, what is going to take Auburn from a good program to a great program when you're going out against excellent programs, right? What is going to make it to make Auburn a consistently great program? Um, because, the results against the excellent programs and maybe even some other ones, it can get frustrating and you can kind of warp you to think like, well, man, Auburn's just way, way off on that. But it's just one of those things. It was like, what is it going to take for this team to be consistently great? What is it going to take for this? And, and to me, it's not like this revolution of anything because I don't think you can expect Auburn to just say, well, we're just going to have more money than Alabama or Georgia. Well, that's not going to happen. You don't have as big of fan bases and X, Y, Z, all that on top of that. Oh, we'll just recruit better than them. It's like, well, maybe you can do it every now and then, but like consistently that just has never been the case uh, unless Alabama is just in a super, super dark period. And then on top of that, Georgia usually just gets you anyway because they're Georgia and where they are. Um, what I think it is is just get better in all those areas and raise that level, raise the floor, you know, raise your ceiling in those areas. It's not going to take this one thing. Otherwise, when you're talking about what's it going to take to win a championship at Auburn, get, get super lucky with a quarterback. Right? You're going like, to need, need a yeah. really talented quarterback to coincide with a team that has a bunch of upperclassmen on it. And even though Alabama and LSU are different, Alabama and LSU and Georgia and these other schools are different than what they were. I mean, the game is different than it was at this point in time. But I think a more sustainable and a more, I guess, the more realistic way to do it, if you're Auburn, especially with the coaching staff you have right now and what you're trying to build right now, is you're trying to do like the early Tupperware. You want to be 04 Auburn, right? Where, you know, you recruit pretty well in some areas and, 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 I mean, obviously, you could tell that a lot of those a lot of those stars from that 2014 were awesome recruits coming out of high school. Um, but it's like balance, right? You know, it's just not we didn't ride. It's not 2010 where you rode a quarterback and a couple of really good players around them all the way to the national championship. Um, but I think 04 is a kind of a better example, especially in a playoff era where you can do that. Where it's like, man, that's a that's a team that's got. Really good pieces on offense, really good pieces on defense. We play good team ball and go off that way. I think that is more sustainable long-term than hitting on a quarterback. Um, you know, especially nowadays where elite teams stockpile quarterbacks a lot more frequently now. Um, so, again, that's that's my whole thing with Auburn. It's like right now it's like this is building. This is building up a program. We're not saying that the – Gus Malzahn era didn't do good things. And I'm not saying that Brian Harson inherited a bad situation. I think he inherited a roster that had some issues with it. It had holes, but also, that, you know, some obvious holes. Also, yeah, offensive line, yeah, offensive line is, yeah, <laughs> offensive line is obviously going to be the, the thing that we talk about for years now. But that team was also 6-2 and two at one point. And then 
It was in a position yeah. to win all the games it lost late. Maybe you can exclude the A&M game from that one, but definitely yeah, Mississippi definitely, State, definitely the South Carolina, yeah. and Alabama. They, yeah. they could have won all of those games. But you took a step back. like So it wasn't like you were inheriting a terrible situation, but it's just like you're building it in your own way and you're trying to be more sustainable. That was the whole thing when they hired Brian Harson was like consistently compete for championships. Not compete for championships, not even win championships routinely, but consistently compete. Don't have the highs and lows and the ups and downs. And like some may say Auburn's doomed to be the roller coaster team, to be the, the super chaotic team. And some of its history suggests that. But then there are also stretches where you look at the Pat Dye era, you look at parts of the of the Tommy Tupperville era where like Auburn was a more like you knew what they you were, were kind of getting. Nine and ten games for a little stretch there. Now, football, college football, the SEC has changed so much between yeah. those two eras yeah. and now. But you know, Georgia and some of these other places have had this blueprint, and Alabama has as well. But it's like, it's like how close you get to that, and it's a program more than a person. And that person may be a quarterback. That person may be a head coach. It's a program overall, and I think that's that's going to be kind of the big thing that that, that you continue to chase if you're Auburn. As far uh, as forward. as far as I can tell, like Auburn fans are right to feel like there have been plenty of seasons in the last, let's say, since two thousand. Mm-hmm. where there's just been a lot left on the table. A couple yeah. of oh, lucky yeah. breaks 100%. here, a little bit better well, recruiting I, there, and it's like, I uh, did that thing. I did that thing last week about the Pythagorean expectation, and, like, there are some Malzahn-era teams, and, 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 you know, a little bit before that as well, the Chiswick era as well, where it's like, yeah, they, they underachieved. They should have been better. There, there's more meat left on that bone, 100%. That's you, and that's part of the reason why Gus Malzahn is no longer your head coach. It's a conversation I have with a few friends. I do wonder if Gus does just a few things differently at different stretches of time, mm-hmm. if the patience is there for him to stay a little bit longer, or if it's like, well, he spent nearly a decade here. Eventually, people just want new blood. But I think about some of the LSU and Georgia losses, especially. Yeah. And how much goodwill you might have bought for yourself by winning a few more of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, kind of a double-edged sword because the, Georgia won a national title as recently as you could have. And LSU did so in the most dominant fashion perhaps we've seen in some time, what, three years ago? Yeah. So anyway, I've, I've derailed us a bit here. But I think Auburn has historically left some things on the table. I also think that you know, if Auburn could get to nine, ten wins with more regularity, like I, I would be pretty content. Yeah, that, and I'm glad you said that about the, the LSU losses because I want to do another what if, another alternate scenario that we've we've been talking about recently, and continue to send these in if you've got some. Um, this was one that we got a while back. Um, an interesting one here. What happens in 2018 if Auburn beats LSU? That was, if you remember correctly, that is a 22-21 loss in Jordan-Hare. It was approximately 7 million degrees outside. And there were some controversial PIs in Mm -hmm. that game. I don't know if you – the fans think they're controversial. I don't know if you, as someone who's a little bit more objective, think that they're all that controversial. But I still remember that as the game of the pass interference calls that did not go Auburn's way. Uh, And poor Deshaun Davis, being not the tallest guy in the world, can relate Deshaun – was in position to knock that ball out of the air 
that helps LSU get back into that game, and he's just like literally a half inch too short to do it. Yeah. Um, Auburn in that game, if you remember, Auburn was down 10 nothing early. They they rally back, and then it's a slugfest in the second half. The Auburn gets penalized for 111 yards, some <laughs> controversial pass interferences. And Jared Stidham, Auburn Jared Lane, Stidham throws two picks in that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 198 Auburn, there. Auburn, remember, blew a double-digit lead the year before. So blowing a yes. double-digit lead <laughs> two years in a row to that team. By was, the way, by yeah. the way, Joe Burrow's line that game, 15 of 34. Then the next year, he looks like the best quarterback, you know, the best, most accurate quarterback who's ever lived. Like, I, it's it's so wild what the, what that team did. So the what if is what if Auburn wins that game? What if Cole Tracy misses that kick? What if the pass interferences call calls don't come? What if Auburn beats uh, LSU to stay in the top ten um, and 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 keep going on? Uh, so let's let's say that they flip it. Say the kick misses, uh, LSU loses. Auburn wins that game. The next week they smack Arkansas thirty four to three. Two weeks later they win a really weird low scoring game against Southern Miss. It was twenty four thirteen that one. And then they go on the road and lose a just a real tough one against Mississippi State, um, where they can't do anything on offense. And then they embarrassingly lose to Tennessee week after that. They do beat Ole Miss and A and M after that. And then the end of the season is the end of the season. Is it crazy to think that if Auburn beats that LSU team and starts the season five and zero, do they have a little bit more momentum so more momentum so they don't have that really weird loss at Mississippi State where they can't finish drives and they can't pull it out like they just missed opportunity after opportunity they had turnovers they had you know bad plays at certain spots and and I I don't know I don't know how much this necessarily changes but you know that's one more win say everything else stays the same Auburn wins nine games that year they go four and four in the SEC that's without changing anything else. You don't really, you aren't really competitive against Georgia or Alabama that year, so I don't know how much changes there. But maybe that midseason stretch, you may get to flip one of those Mississippi State or Tennessee games, and you're looking at Auburn being an eight or nine one team heading into that final stretch of the year, maybe going back to a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't know if we want to say that over just one kick and one play, but I do think the vibes you definitely change around Auburn if instead of bouncing back against Arkansas or with a with a blowout win, you instead just beat the Tar. And if I remember correctly, that Arkansas game was weird too, where like the offense just never got out of first gear, if I remember correctly. This is what if Auburn had a win in that week three game? I just I think my big question is is like can their can their offense go? Because that offense just never seemed to get out of first gear or second gear that year after being so good the year before with Jarrett Stidham. Um what do you think? I do believe in the compounding effects of losses, especially early in yes. the year. Kind of, there's no way to really know. There's certainly no way to track momentum as far as I'm aware of it. But I tend to think that that shapes things differently. I mean, LSU's 12th in the country, if I remember correct. Auburn is in the top 10. Um, Auburn has a couple of plays. Like I think there was a Daniel Carlson laces out missed kick that mm. that can swing that game for Auburn. They end up probably still holding on, or at least it makes the comeback harder, right? Because as it shakes out, maybe it doesn't shake out this way, but as it does, they're able to kick a walk-off field goal instead of having to get in the end zone. Um, Deshaun Davis is in position to tip a Joe Burrow pass that goes to the house, uh, but like he can't help it, you know. He, just, he is what he is in terms of height. 
so yeah, I you know as as someone who's definitely wearing orange and blue lenses, they're probably still not beating Alabama in twenty eighteen. But do I think it could have affected the juju of that team uh, and losing to someone like uh, that twenty eighteen Mississippi State team, which had an excellent defense, but like yeah. come on, like they scored like nine points in that game. Yeah, I. Uh, that's the thing is that if you turn that game around and you turn one one of those midseason ones, either State or Tennessee, you're talking about a 10-win season for Auburn. And again, back-to-back 10-win seasons, it's it's the golden goose that we keep chasing with all of these with all of these what-if scenarios. So I don't think a ton changes. I do think it 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 it, it affects a lot of what we think about Auburn you know, that season and, and, and especially Jarrett Stidham, it's just, could, could that offense kind of pick up from that? And, and they never really did, but I don't know. I'll say they, I say they, if they flip that game, they get to that, that, that those double digit wins. And I think we're talking about Auburn in a little different light, a little bit, maybe not a ton, but a little bit of a different light. And man, that was so close. So, so close. And uh, if you want me to that? convince myself that that win means that they win against Mississippi state and Tennessee, <laughs> that's an easy sell. Yeah, yeah. So, would have been a really good year for them. So, it obviously, it, it took the wind out of their sails for sure early in the year. Um, Was that one of the first times that the uh, the the theory that they can't call a pass interference or a foul every time, depending on the sport you're talking yes. about, actually <laughs> yes. came back to bite them? Because like normally that yep. is sort of a good philosophy to live. Jamel, by. Dean, Jamel Dean kept getting flagged for like just it was just really physical and like look, I mean Jordan Jefferson, those guys like you, like those were really good players. Um, yeah, that was it was brutal, brutal finish for sure. Um, all right, so uh, before we go, we've got a number of things to do. We'll talk some basketball here, wrap it up. But first, talk to to y'all about our good friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, the number one place for the most premium vintage collegiate apparel, the best t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts you're gonna find anywhere, uh, and they're getting better and better by the day. Uh, constantly innovating, constantly new, uh, adding new teams to the mix. Auburn, if you're looking for Auburn stuff, getting ready, getting your getting your fall wardrobe ready, getting your game day wardrobe ready, or you just want a T-shirt that just feels great at all times of the year, especially in the hot summer months, Homefield's got you covered. We got uh, 1957 National Championship shirts. There's a bunch of vintage Auburn basketball on there, uh, some really cool designs. Uh, that uh, you don't really see on a lot of stuff these days. A good Auburn baseball shirt, a couple of Auburn uh, Auburn peacock shirts, uh, and a hoodie if you if you are interested in that. Homefield Apparel, uh, you can check them out there, homefieldapparel.com. If it's your first time ever ordering from Homefield, 15% off uh, your order with the promo code OBSERVER, um, and that will get you set and on your way. Uh, big news Saturday, Season 4 underway. Arkansas now in the mix. There'll be some big schools getting released there as well. So if you're an Auburn fan, um, you're probably an Auburn fan if you're listening to this, or if you're somebody who has an affinity or a connection to a certain school or just like the designs, Homefield's the place for you. You can uh, you can listen to this podcast, obviously, uh, for free. Um, and we appreciate all of you who do listen to, to us for free during the weekend edition of the podcast. Um, but uh, there's a way you can help us out uh, if you do enjoy the show. Um, that costs you absolutely no money. Painter, tell them about it. Rating, reviewing, subscribing. It takes like 20 seconds. Please do that. Take someone's phone if you've already done it on your own. 
We do appreciate the rating, the reviewing, the subscribing. 20 seconds of your time goes a long way for your boys. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a new, we do have a new review uh, to, uh, to, to read. We read these on the air because we're very vain people, but also we like to shout out those of you who do follow instructions and help us out. Because again, giving us five stars and writing a review it's it's very simple. It's very short. And you hear us talk about it all the time. It does help us out a ton. It gets more people's eyeballs on the product. It gets more people listening, which is better for us. It's it's just the easiest way to help us out. Um, this is from WDEFNA. Says this is my go-to AU podcast. Never miss an episode. I even get this thing twice in my feed somehow. Yeah, that happens to me too. Thanks for all all you guys do to bring the Auburn faithful expert and and passionate looking at you painter commentary and analysis question. If you had to pick a whole number on the number of games Auburn will win next season, what would you pick? Feeling pretty confident in seven. Um, if Auburn gets a good quarterback situation, settled, I think seven's a good number to go with. Um, that is very funny. We are probably all going to fall on the same number. My, my rational thought is six. And as the season approaches, I usually convince myself go to go yeah. one up which means I'm at six today. But if you ask me this question in August when we got pads on and people are convincing themselves this is the year, it'll probably be seven. I could see a scenario where Auburn wins eight this year. I could also see a scenario where they, they struggle and they don't win make five. Like if, yeah. they, if they have what? I think happened. seven's a really good number. That's that's yeah. around the line. I, I like to lean to SP plus. That's 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 what around is that, 6. the six point seven ish. Like six point seven eight or something like that. And I think they're overrating a, t- a couple of teams a tad, and uh, underrating a couple of teams as well. But I, well, I, I like I'd that. like, I like to that think, pick. given that Auburn was six and two last year, that it probably should have won at least one of those three games. It choked yep. away at the end, which yep. means it probably should have at least gotten to seven. And if we, you know, yep. you wrote the story about things tending to sort of, you know, equalize over time mm-hmm. like it, it so games, i would yeah. i would like to think that okay fine auburn maybe won't have as bad a luck in the fourth quarter this year uh, yeah lord yep. knows we'll I see so, yeah <laughs> we shall see um yeah so i think they're going bowling unless things really yeah. go haywire which is you know hey about a decade it's ago possible. we were standing <laughs> it is possible um Appreciate those of you who do uh, give us the ratings and the reviews. Um, helps us out a ton, like I said. And uh, if you like this podcast and want more of it, uh, auburnobserver.com. It's $6 a month or $60 a year to get a full subscription. You get every newsletter and every podcast emailed to your inbox uh, as soon as they come up. That's most weekday mornings. You get about three po- or, sorry, you get two podcasts and three newsletters a week here during the off season. maybe a little more on certain times of the year, but we try to stick to that schedule here in the off season. Appreciate you folks uh, continuing to uh, help us out. Got a, got a couple new people um, or more than a couple new people um, on board last week. So if you're a new listener or a new subscriber, thank you very much. Um, some housekeeping. I've talked about it a little bit, but I don't know if I've talked about it on the public feed. I am going on vacation this week on Wednesday morning uh, and I will be back the following Tuesday. So I'm going to take a full week. And uh, so there will be, if you're if you're a subscriber, you're getting this podcast today. You're going to get a newsletter on Tuesday. You're going to get a newsletter on Wednesday. And then we get Painter to run the ship. Painter's going to do a mailbag this week so you can send questions to him. Um, and then you've got a couple podcasts with some special guests. The, one of them will drop during the midweek. And another one will be the weekend podcast for Memorial Day weekend. And then we will have a contributed piece next Tuesday that I'm excited about running. So I will be stepping away for a little bit. I'll have my eye on some stuff. 
Uh, but I'm going to enjoy this week off. And uh, Painter has uh, so graciously uh, stepped in. I'm excited, Painter. I'm excited to see what you do with the with the podcast and the and the uh, and the mailbag. Those are always popular when you're when you're the one running the show. Looking forward to it. Three guests over the next two podcasts. So we will see where that takes us. Uh, yes, the mailbag questions, as always, greatly appreciated. Sports or non? In fact, the non-sports ones tend to be a lot of fun. If you want the good sports info, you know who you're leaning on here in this relationship. Uh, However. Uh, I will take any sort of question you give me. Uh, so uh, we, we're excited about that. And uh, so if you're listening to this podcast, I will not be on the free the free fee for the next couple of weeks. I mean, I'll, I'll be back in two weeks. Um, if you're a subscriber, I'll be back on the next midweek podcast after this week. So I'm going to enjoy the week off. Uh, before we go, uh, let's talk um, – Let's talk some basketball on our way out the door. Uh, Painter, we are talking, uh, we as in me, are talking, and, and the members of the Auburn Beat are talking to Bruce Pearl early Monday morning uh, as part of his, um, he usually does one of these uh, press events every year. Um, he talks to us kind of uh, a little bit more of a laid back venue uh, for his uh, golf tournament that he does uh, each year that benefits the four of the children a golf classic at Willow Point in uh you know near uh, Lake Martin. Um going to talk to him early Monday morning. Um he does this every year. It's a uh it's it raises raises funds for uh Children's Harbor in Birmingham. And uh we'll talk with Bruce Pearl. So there's been some questions people have had about that last scholarship spot. Uh maybe some scheduling stuff, uh just some other things about the program that hopefully we can get some more info on and my goal is for Tuesday morning's newsletter to be uh, very basketball heavy with what we learned from Bruce. But did want to discuss Alan Flanagan. Uh, he has been the talk of the timeline here uh, recently, and for good reason. Uh, Flan went to uh, the G League camp uh, last week, did not get an invite to the NBA Combine, which I think it was a little bit of a longer shot because I think most people expected – Al to be back at Auburn this this upcoming season, but he did get the opportunity to go up to the G League, still in the draft um, at this point. Only seven of the 44 who were in the G League Elite Camp are in call-ups to the Combine, but pretty good little run there for Flanagan. Uh, he went three for four on Monday, three boards, a couple assists. On Tuesday, nine points on three of five shooting. He uh, hit a nice uh, step-back three, had four rebounds and two assists in 19 minutes, so didn't have superstar numbers didn't have superstar minutes uh at the at the combine but if you watch kind of the film and and and, you know the videos posted of it and and read the stats and kind of hear what was going on there painter it sounded like al for a guy who struggled last season coming off that injury and some some he went up there against some of the best of the best in his kind of tier of of talent in the uh in the nba draft class right now and held his own he was efficient um, you know, didn't light up the scoreboard, but you know, shot above fifty percent in both games. Rebounded, assisted, played good defense. It, it's the kind of stuff that, like, you get that if you get that level of Allen Flanagan against a a regular college schedule next year. I think Auburn's in a really good spot. Also it, had that dunk. Also that dunk video. He looked really good yeah. in that. <laughs> uh, obviously, I have made my opinions on Flanagan known here over. The course of the last year, I was definitely out in front and wrong about what his presence would mean to the team coming back from an injury. I was just, I think I was 
hoping for a lot coming off of a tough injury, right? And um, I still think what I said is true going into this season, that as Alan Flanagan goes, so Auburn will go later in the year. He may not be the most talented person on the team again this year. It may be someone younger than him. However, given his experience, his athleticism, ability to get to the basket when things aren't going well shooting, he might might be your most important player. Certainly will be yeah. in some games. And Auburn was just lacking that at times. He saw it, I think, in the A&M game. Certainly in the tournament when you get down to those single elimination games, you want somebody that, one, has been there before, uh, so their head's not spinning. And two, like you want him to be one of your probably two best players on the team because when he speaks, people listen. It was hard mm-hmm. for Allen probably to do that uh, last season given what his role ended up becoming. Really, yeah, like I, I think it's easy to say this now, but lots of people are on, back on the bandwagon, but like super excited to see what a full off season being healthy does for Allen. Being that small forward, no Julian Phillips. We will see what Auburn does with that last scholarship spot. Be interested to see what 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 Auburn does there. But to be the link between an experienced backcourt and a really exciting reloaded front court, that you got a lot of pressure there. Him, Chance Westry as well. You know, just a number of guys that can you be that link. And Allen does. You know, Allen's one of those guys that I think at his best he does everything really well. And, and can be a guy that you can plug into any rotation, any lineup, and feed off of that. And I know last season he pressed, and he had rough time, and I know there's been a lot of criticism lobbed his way. But I think what he, you saw at the at the G, at the G League uh, elite camp was a lot more of like the Allen we saw during his sophomore season. If he keeps that up, there's a lot to be excited about. So good for Allen. Glad he had that kind of experience up there in, in Chicago that I knew was uh, you know, really – uh, definitely going to be a, a real reward for him, um, but also just you know getting up close and personal with with NBA um, talent and, and NBA level talent and and teams and stuff like that will always be very helpful. Very 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 interesting to see the draft process for Jabari Smith. We talked about it on the premium pod. Don't want to rehash all of that, but with the way the the lottery shook out last week and then. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see a little bit more about Walker Kessler. Don't know if he's necessarily a lottery guy, but the way that the the back half of that first round shakes out, uh, who's going to be interested in him will be interesting to follow. And also, Painter, we've got numbers. We got numbers to talk about. We've got we've got a a new roster set up currently on Auburn's website. I believe our buddy Jay. Uh, who's a great contributor for basketball uh, at On3 at, at Auburn Live, pointing this out the other day. Um, unsurprisingly, Trey Donaldson's wearing the number three. I think that's I think that's a um, glad to know that that's that's gonna uh, keep <laughs> it's gonna uh, gonna keep going. Uh, also, uh, Janai Broom. Um, sorry, yeah, Janai uh, Broom. Uh, is wearing number four, which he is carrying over from his time at uh, at Moorhead State. Uh, Chance Westry wearing number ten, uh, and Yoan Treor wearing twenty one. It's a very interesting number for a front court player, uh, but but a good one at that. So we've got we're getting closer, Painter. We're getting we're getting closer. We'll see if Auburn gets one more addition uh, there. But uh, you gotta really like what what the Tigers have. Um, Heading in, heading into next season, it's 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 seeing this roster in a full scope right now is, uh, you know, maybe one more piece can can round it out. 
You get really strong numbers. None of, none of the newcomers picked a bad number, I'll say that, because you can easily pick a bad number in basketball. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yep. All right. Sounds sounds good to me. All right. Like I said, I will talk to you guys uh, in about a week and a half for those of your subscribers, a couple of weeks for those of you on the free feed. Uh, Painter will have the ship next week. And uh, I'm excited to hear what the podcasts are like when I'm not a part of it because it's always a lot of fun to see what he comes up with. I think you guys are going to enjoy those for sure. Um, Mailbag, send your questions to Painter. You will have uh, newsletters on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I will be back next week uh, as well. We've got we've got Painter doing the mailbag and the contributed piece next week. So even though I'll be out, we will continue for those of you who are subscribers uh, to get uh, – to, to, to get your money's worth with uh, with your subscription. That'll do it for me. Painter, final thoughts. Which team has the NBA record 33-game winning streak? Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Lakers, Philadelphia 76ers, or the Milwaukee Bucks? The Bucks sound the most out of it, so I'm going to go with the Bucks. I like your strategy, although it's kind of the inverse here. The Los Angeles Lakers legendary record was set in 71-72. My mind kind of would have gone test-taking mode there, too, of like, wait a minute. Three of those, one of those isn't like the other. I don't know. Give me that one. But it was actually the Lakers. I didn't watch the new, was it an HBO thing? I didn't watch that one. I didn't finish it. It was, I think a lot of people were like, oh, this is fun and entertaining. But then most people were like, man, this isn't realistic at all. This is not how this happened at, at any bit. So I kind of, I kind of faded on it, but we'll see. We may go back to it. I want to see more sports shows like that though. Uh, there's a lot of good material out there. Hit it in a bag.